Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on September 23rd, 2012. Today's message is titled, Mirror, Mirror on the Wall by Pastor Ryan Cochran. The message is based on scripture, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. Pray together. Lord, as we come together now around your word, Lord, we are here to hear from you. Lord, speak to us by your spirit. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. May the Lord be with you. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? This is, of course, a famous line from the Disney movie Snow White. Uh, The evil queen wanted to know who was the fairest in all the land. And since she wanted to know the truth, she asked a mirror. Because as we all know, mirrors never lie. Mirrors never lie. And the evil queen that day found out the hard truth that she was not, in fact, the fairest of them all, but that title belonged to Snow White. Now, like the evil queen, many of us don't like what the mirror tells us. A little too lumpy here, not quite what it used to look like there. The mirror, we don't always like what it says. And unfortunately, mirrors never lie. James also knows that mirrors never lie. And he uses the illustration of a mirror in this passage to describe that the way that the Word of God works in our lives. The Word of God is a mirror that holds up, that reflects our reflection. What James tells us in this passage is that the Word of God is held up to us and it reveals the truth about us. And James tells us that we are foolish if we hear it if it is held up to us, and we go away and do nothing. Hearing the word of God, walking away and not doing it is the same as looking into a mirror, seeing that you have some food stuck in your teeth, and walking away and not doing anything about it. It's foolish. The section of James today is focused on the importance of hearing the word of God and putting it into action. Do not merely listen to the word. Do not only allow the word to be held up to you so that you may see the truth, but you also must put it into action. I think that for many of us who have been Christians for a long time, these words are particularly important for us to hear. We've heard the word of God. We know it very well. We can recite portions of it. There's many of you in here who have heard so many sermons that you probably already have a pretty good idea of what I am going to say today. You could probably predict some of what I'll say. You've heard the word, you know it, but James says, do you do it? James is calling us to action. If we hear God's word and don't do it, then we are deceiving ourselves about our faith. Throughout the book of James, he calls us to pay attention to our life, calls us to consider our actions and ask, 
whether or not they match up to the faith that we say we believe in. What does what I do say about what I believe? James knows that we as human beings uh, can very easily deceive ourselves to make ourselves believe that we are somebody that we are not. And James says that when it comes to our faith, the only way to not deceive yourself is to look at your actions. Are you doing what the Word of God says or not? And this is why James uses the illustration of a mirror. He wants us to examine ourselves, our own actions, because a mirror doesn't lie. It tells us the truth about ourselves. A couple of weeks ago when I was uh, speaking at Challengers, I I did a little bit of math for them. Uh, I figured out how many days of their lives they had spent just listening to sermons. Just listening to sermons. Now, many of them have been around a little bit longer than many of us, uh, so I did the math for them, and I figured that if they have been a Christian for 60 years, and they've been going to church pretty much every week, then in their lifetime, they have in those 60 years, they have listened to 3,000 sermons. 3,000 sermons. And if the average sermon is 30 minutes long, then that means that they have spent 62 full days of their life listening to sermons. Unless you're listening to Isaac's sermons, and then it's a little bit longer than that. If you've been a Christian for 60 years, and if you've spent at least 15 minutes a day in the Word of God, then after 60 years, you have spent 228 full days in the Word of God. Many of you are people who that that math matches up with. That that has been your life. Uh, Many of you who are here today are really faithful churchgoers. You you show up. You are going to be here on Sunday morning. It is a part of your life. It's a part of who you are as a person. To not come and to be with God's people on Sunday morning, it just kind of makes the rest of the week a little weird. I have that experience in my own life as one who grew up uh, going to church every Sunday. If I don't go, the rest of the week just feels a little bit strange. If that describes you this morning then I think that James' words are for you. These words are a challenge for you, for you to consider whether or not you're simply wasting your time here. Or worse, deceiving yourself into believing that you're someone that you're not. And this is James' point. If you are a person who hears God's word, whether through preaching or through your own personal Bible study or through your times of prayer, if you are a person who spends time listening to God's word, but do not respond in doing what it says, then you're wasting your time. You're deceiving yourself, and your hearing of the word is worthless. James 1, uh, verse uh, 21, says this, Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Hearing the word is important, but the word must find a place in us. 
We must allow it to do its work in us. We must hear it and accept what it has to say. Humbly accept the word planted in you. In the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8, Jesus is being challenged by some of the Jewish religious leaders about his ministry and about the words that he's saying. These religious leaders are calling into question uh, who Jesus says that he is. And Jesus has this interesting response in John chapter 8, uh, verse 37, I think it was. Jesus' response to them is that the reason that they are challenging him, and Jesus says the reason that they want to kill him is because his word cannot find a place in them. Jesus is talking to religious leaders, people who, who knew the word of God better than anyone. They had read it more, they had, had heard it more, they had studied it more than anyone else in their day, likely more than any of us here. And yet when the word of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ is right before them, they cannot receive him. They cannot hear his word. His word had no place to rest in them. They were not willing to receive it. They did not humbly accept the word planted in them, and so they wanted to kill him. Does the word of God find a place in you? This is the question that I have been considering and have been convicted about this week in preparation for this sermon. Does the word of God find a place in me when I hear it? James uses this image of a a seed planted in soil. Humbly accept the word planted in you. Does the word of God find a place in you? When you hear the word, does it find good soil in you? Are you ready to receive it? Do you want it to take root and to grow in you? And I think that's my problem sometimes. I hear it, but I don't want it to find a place. I don't want to be suitable soil because I know that that word may cause me to change, may cause me to have to act differently, may cause me to make some sacrifice in my life that I'm not yet ready to make. And so I make sure that that word falls on that other soil in my heart, the soil that isn't good. Does the word of God find a place in you? Are you ready to receive it? Or... Are you resistant to it over and over again? I don't know about your heart this morning, but you do. How do you receive the word of God that you hear? Are you ready today and each day and each Sunday? Are you ready for it to speak to you? Do you want it to speak to you? Are you humbly ready to accept what it has to say to you? This made me even to, to think specifically about my life because I found that there were some areas of my life where I seek to keep the word of God out. Some areas where I, I love to hear it, usually the places where I've already been changed and where I, I'm ready to obey, but the other areas I try to keep the word of God out. So maybe it's some other area in your life, some specific area where you know you hear God's word to you and you Make sure that it falls on the soil where it won't take root. You ignore it. You go on a little bit too quickly rather than asking what God wants you to do. Does the word of God find a place in you? Hearing the word is important, but in order for that hearing to make a difference, we have to be humbly ready to accept it. And when we humbly accept it, James says, we then must do it if our faith 
is going to be real. One of the very famous quotes in James is the words that come later in chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. In the verses that we're looking at today, especially verses uh, 22 through 27, say the same thing in a different way. Faith without works is dead. A hearer of the word who is not also a doer of the word is someone who has deceived themselves. Faith without works is dead. But James, after he calls us to make sure that we are not only a hearer of the word, not only people who are ready to receive it when we hear it, uh, James's attention then goes to what doing the word actually looks like. And for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to focus on where James's attention went after he's writing about making sure that we do what the word says. This is what James says about what doing the word looks like. Verses 26 and 27. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. James talks a little bit more about the tongue later in chapter 3, and we'll be looking at that in a few weeks. And so I want to look especially today at what verse 27 says. Religion that God our Father accepts, as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. When James considers, what does it mean for me to do the word of God? What does it mean for my people here who I'm writing to? What does it mean for them to do the word of God? This is where his attention goes. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Doing the word of God is about being a people of righteousness, those who are not being polluted by the world, and about people who do justice, who seek areas where people are vulnerable and lost and seek to meet their needs. Righteousness and justice. Throughout the Old Testament, righteousness and justice go hand in hand. Throughout the Psalms and the prophets, these two ideas go in hand. Righteousness and justice throughout the Psalms and the prophets describe the character of God. God is righteous. God is just. And righteousness and justice are also the things that God wants to do in the world. It's what he wants to see happen in the world. He wants to bring righteousness and bring justice in the world. Righteousness and justice throughout the Old Testament, the Psalms and the prophets Especially, righteousness and justice describe the character of God and also describe what he is seeking to bring about in the world. Psalm 89, for example, says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. His rule is based on his righteousness and his justice. The prophet Amos cries out that one day, when the Messiah establishes his rule on the earth, that justice will roll down like a river and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. These concepts of righteousness, that is, being perfect and holy, without blame, without blemish, and this idea of justice, bringing about what is right in the world, they always go together in the scriptures. 
In the Old Testament, it describes the character of God and what he wants to bring about in the world. And Jesus says to us that we are to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. In our life, to reflect the character of God. As God's character is a character of righteousness and justice, with the help of God's Spirit, as we hear the word of God and allow it to find a place in us, our character also may be shaped so that we can become righteous and just. As our Heavenly Father seeks to bring righteousness and justice into the world, so with the help of God's Spirit, as we hear the word and allow it to find a place in us, we can be a people also who do justice and righteousness and bring that about in the world. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Justice and righteousness. They're together in verse 27. I want to read you a few other passages um, from the Old Testament that describes the righteous and just heart of God. I'd just like for you to, uh, to listen to them. You don't have to follow along with me. Just, just listen to, to them. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. He shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, or uh, in our words, immigrants. You are to love those who are immigrants, for you yourselves were also aliens in Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 and 29. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and stores into your towns so that the Levites and the aliens, the fathers and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Deuteronomy 24. Do not deprive the alien or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I commanded you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien and the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands." When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you are slaves in Egypt. That is why I commanded you to do this. Psalm 68. Sing to God, sing praise to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and rejoice before him. A father to the fatherless, defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. Sounds to me like our God is concerned about the alien, the poor, the orphan, and the widow. I've read only five examples of dozens and dozens and dozens of passages that speak about God's particular care for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. In Israel, these were three groups in particular who were most vulnerable. People who had no social ties, people who were not able to have others around them to care for their basic needs. The alien, or, or in our terms, the immigrant, the person has no social or family ties in the, in, the, in the community of Israel, and God says to them, they are under my particular care. In my law, I want to write to make sure that you know to care for them who are among you. The fatherless and the widow were two groups of people in Israel, and and today, of course, as well, who are particularly vulnerable. People who typically do not have someone to care for them and to provide for their basic needs. The scripture is clear that they are under his special care, and that as God's people, part of doing righteousness and justice is to care for them. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Religion at its best, the church at its very best, is when it is caring for those who have been forgotten. The church is at its very best when it has its eyes open for the places where people are living in loneliness and despair, and when God's people, the church, step into those places and become visible expressions of the heart of God. The church is at its best when our eyes are open to the places and to the people who are living in loneliness and despair and where we step in to become visible and tangible expressions of the heart and character of God. When James reflects on what it means to do the word of God, this is where his mind turns, to care for the weak and the vulnerable, to do acts of justice and mercy to, do, to people who our culture very easily discards. This is what we are called to do. Doing the word of God means that we are called to this. Doing justice, I suggest to you today, requires our physical presence in our engagement with the people in our culture who are in need of justice. Doing justice requires your presence, your hands, your feet, your ears, and your eyes. The reason I make that a point is that I think that too often around issues of justice, we mistakenly believe that those issues are resolved on the level of public policy and politics. Issues of justice will be resolved if, if only we get the right politician in place. That's important. Public policy and political influence is important, and we pray that Christians will be in those positions so that our culture will more reflect God's justice. But what about you and me? What about Ebenezer Baptist Church? What is James calling us to do to bring about righteousness and justice for the alien, the orphan, and the widow, and for others who are vulnerable around us? 
these groups of people that very clearly have God's attention should have our attention as well. And so I want to take each of these groups of people that James describes, or that that, uh, the Old Testament describes, the alien, the orphan, and the widow, and to just give you some examples of ways that we can bring justice in these places simply by our presence. Simply by our presence. These are examples. I, I trust that as you think about this in your life, the people who you encounter in your life, that you could come up with much better examples than I could. But these are examples about the ways that you and I can be people of justice uh, as we reach out to those who are in these positions. What about the orphan? In particular, the, the vulnerable child, born or unborn, that does not have a parent that loves them. How does the church respond to the orphan? One church that I know of has very intentionally sought to create a culture of adoption in their church. They have asked the question, if we are really going to care for the orphan, and if we're really going to stand against the terrible reality of abortion in our culture, then how are we going to practically live that out? And so this church has intentionally tried to create a culture of adoption in their church by encouraging everyone in their church to either adopt a child or to help financially support a family who is willing to adopt a child. This has been a great movement in their church to seek to make this happen, that everyone would be about caring for the orphan in this way, to very practically care for the orphan in this way, to either adopt a child or to financially support a family who will. This is one example of an act of justice that this particular church is called to, an act of visibly expressing the love of God for the vulnerable child, born or unborn, who does not have a parent who loves them. Let's consider the alien or the immigrant. The theme for our 85th anniversary celebration is going to be a celebration of our church as a church made up mostly of immigrants. This church was established and built by immigrants who came to this country. And as we consider the present reality of our church and in our neighborhood, our church finds itself in the neighborhood in Vancouver that has a higher percentage of immigrants than any other neighborhood in our city. So our church in the past has been shaped by this immigrant reality, and it seems that in one way or another, our future will be shaped by this immigrant reality as well. So how do we express the heart of God to immigrants, to aliens in our city, these newcomers who are living in our neighborhood? How do we respond to them, these people who are seeking to make connections? The example I've given is one I've given many of times, is that we need to be a people of hospitality. God has given most of you a home, a place to live, and an invitation into our homes, into our place, is a very powerful way to express God's heart for these people who are under his particular care and concern. What about the widow? We have many widows and widowers in our church or also older people who have never been married. God's heart is especially with these people. And our hearts should be with them as well. 
And I have no better suggestion for us but once again to be people of hospitality. Maybe not this time hospitable with our space, but hospitable with our time. To sacrifice the time to go and to visit. Maybe with another member of our church. Maybe with a neighbor that you know of who lives near you. In the years that I've been a pastor here, I've had hundreds of visits with older people in our church. And something that I so often hear them say is that the days are so long. The days are so long. A visit, a phone call from a friend, extending hospitality by using our time to visit these dear people is a visible and tangible expression of the heart of God. Religion that is pure and blameless is to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep from being polluted from the world. Righteousness and justice. Friends, these suggestions that I've given today are, for the most part, literally something that everyone could do. We don't need a public policy pass. We do not need the right person to be in office. We can do the word of God. We can act out our faith in a way that God accepts. Doing justice, though, requires your presence, your action. Doing the word of God requires you allowing first to allow God's word to find a place in you so that you will be led to do these things. Mirror, mirror on the wall. What does your life say about your faith? What is reflected back to you? Are you a doer of the word? How is God calling you in your life to do what his word says? Where in your life do you resist it? Where do you not allow God's word to take root? Are you one who has heard God's word your whole life, but is deceiving yourself about your faith? What does your life say about your faith? Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for revealing to us revealing to us your heart for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Lord, I pray that in our life, as James has told us, Lord, that in our life that we would be doers of your word, that we would respond with your love and your compassion to those around us who are vulnerable, who are lonely, who are in despair and in need, and that we would do your justice by being present with them in a real way. Lord, by your Spirit, we ask that you would enable us to do this, that you would give us eyes to see the people around us uh, who need uh, your loving care. And God, you would enable us by your Spirit to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.